Hello. Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Great to see you all. We are having fun today. A lot of fun. And uh, it's going to continue right through this service. By the way, if any of you are wanting to double dip today, uh, I'll be preaching down in La Jolla at 4 o'clock. So if you feel like you're like, what? I want that again, you know, just, uh, it's uh, the Bethel, not Bethel, excuse me, the AME Church uh, in uh, La Jolla. And uh, uh, if you, for those of you that are not in the loop of AME, that I preached at the AME Church down in Southeast San Diego for 20 years now, annually. But um, at any rate, African Methodist Episcopal Church is the oldest black denomination in America. So, um, very honored to preach for their 99th anniversary, you know? And, uh, you know, we, we really do need to celebrate uh, churches that keep going on and on and on because uh, as times change and, and the country becomes more secularized, uh, you may not be aware of it, but the amount of churches per capita now in America is is like one-fourth of what it was 100 years ago. So we, uh, we're losing, you know, the amount of churches. And, and so churches that go the distance, we got to applaud them and celebrate them and so forth. Well, this morning, um, this is the last of the Psalms. Uh, we're transitioning out of the summer series, and this has been a great thing, discovering what it's like to become David's. And uh, this morning, we're going to take you into Psalm 126. I've never taught on this psalm before, and you may hear me this morning say, never try it again. <laughs> but uh, I, I love this psalm because um, it's, it's one of the psalms of ascent, uh, A-S-S-E-N-T, and the Jews would sing these psalms. It goes from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. And they would sing these psalms as they were ascending from Jericho, which is below sea level, up to Jerusalem, which is 20-something uh, feet above, you know, 2,200 2, feet above sea level. And so they would sing these psalms. And some of the psalms are just pure joy, just celebrating. We get to go back to Jerusalem. They'd go back usually three times a year, and it would be uh, either a day's journey, depending on where they lived in Israel, or if they lived up in Galilee, it'd be uh, a three-day journey. And uh, so it was a big deal, and they, they would meet up with relatives, friends that everybody knows in uh, Jerusalem, big, big celebration. And Psalm 126 is unique because... It's not only a psalm that has celebration in it, but it also has sorrow and longing in it. Usually the psalms are separated, but this one, equal distance, has both. The first stanza is all about joy. The second stanza is all about pain and longing. And that's kind of what the message is going to be about. We're going to pull those two things together. So I've called this message, Already But Not Yet. 
And I have noticed over the years that some people live primarily in the already. I'm saved, I'm healed, I've, I'm, God's blessing me. How about you, bro? And if you share any pain with them, they say, ah, but, you know, all things work together for good for those that love God and call according to his purpose. <laughs> um, so they, in their world, they've, they've got it all. But then some of us move into a time of sorrow, a time of longing where, wow, it hurts. It, it, you know, is this what the Christian life is all about? And I'm here to tell you that the best is yet to come. Amen. It's great. But the best is yet to come. So when you're looking at a painting, if, if a painting doesn't have a frame around it, oftentimes you'll experiment to see what frame best brings out the feel of the painting. And some Christians especially hold the already frame around most of life. Well, I accepted Jesus, I've got it all, it's wonderful. And then some Christians hold mostly the frame of it'll be better when we get to heaven. And I want to take both of your sets of frames and make it a big frame. So it says, already but not yet together in the tension. Let's take a moment to pray. Lord, thank you that you are so good to us. And we have discovered the joy of our salvation in Jesus Christ. And yet we long for you to come again. And we long to see your face again. And so we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Now feed us through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 126, verse 1. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. We, uh, our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. When it was said among the nations, and that can be translated the Gentiles, the Lord has done great things for them, meaning the Jews. The Lord has done great things for us. You can see the, the call and then the response. The Lord has done great things for them, and they respond and say, the Lord has done great things for us. So this first stanza, the first three verses, are all about joy and celebration. This is on the heels of coming out of the Babylonian captivity, and that was a story of pain in Israel's life. In fact, if you look at Israel's history, you realize that there were several hundred years piled on top of one another of either enslavement or bondage, several hundred years in Egypt, then being brought back to the Canaan land, and it now becomes Israel, but the Philistines come up into the hill country from the coast, and they uh, in bondage the Israelites, and then the Midianites come over across Jordan, and they conquer the Israelites, and then later on you have the Assyrians coming from Iraq area over to Israel, conquering 
the 10 tribes to the north and then the Babylonians coming over from what would be middle to southern Iraq over to conquer uh, Israel. And then uh, the Medo-Persian Empire, which would be modern-day Persia, coming over and conquering uh, Babylon. And finally, Israel under King Cyrus. King Cyrus just has a good day, one day. The most powerful man in the world says, why not let these guys go home? And it says, we were like those who dreamed. Pinch me, I'm dreaming. Am I really back in Jerusalem? And that pinch me, I'm dreaming is a part of your story. I want to bring home to you your salvation. I want to bring home to you and remind you of how great your salvation is. For the Jews, when they got back to Jerusalem, they had, they had 70 years of Babylonian captivity. If you read Psalm 137, it says there of their captivity, we were by the rivers of Babylon. We sat and we wept as we remembered our hometown of Zion, Jerusalem. There on the poplar trees, we hung our harps. We didn't feel like worshiping. We put our guitar, our ukulele, our harmonica, whatever. We just don't want to worship because it just doesn't feel right. Everything is so bad. For their captors asked him for them for songs. Their tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us a song of Zion. But how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? And then they get back to Israel. And again, it says here, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Israel's salvation, and the Bible does use that word, Israel's salvation is a bit different than how you use the word. Usually when we're using the term, we're talking about God forgiving us of our sins, but for Israel, it was not just God forgiving them, it was God restoring to them their crops, their families, their health, Everything could be put under the word thriving. We're thriving again. Pinch me, I'm dreaming. And that's the way you and I should feel, feel about our salvation. Pinch me, I'm dreaming. About 20 years ago, I preached a series in this church called No Thin Jesus. Anybody remember that? Three? Good? <laughs> no, I'm joking. There was a few more than that. Yeah, that was a long time ago. And, and my emphasis there is that I had discovered in the Western church, uh, we had created a very thin Jesus. A thin Jesus only cares about your soul, and he wants to forgive your soul and get your soul into heaven. So we go around and get people to pray the prayer, and then we grab you, and we get your soul into heaven. It's true, it's wonderful truth for your soul to be forgiven. Wonderful. But that's not all 
salvation means to you. I mean, think of it. If you go back and read the gospel, you have Jesus talking about, don't worry about a thing. I've got you covered. Don't worry about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat. I care for you more than I care for the lilies of the field. And you think, wow, is that part of my salvation? That God is a provider? Yeah, part of your salvation is you get to have God as your father. Part of your salvation is that God cares about your marriage. Part of your salvation is God cares about your kids. Part of your salvation is God cares about your business. It's a very holistic, robust Jesus, right? Not a very thin Jesus. But we often think of Jesus as being very narrow, and then we don't know what to do with the rest of our life rather than realizing he wants to touch all of it. If you take a a visit over to Ephesians chapter 1, Paul there, in this wonderful prelude to the book of Ephesians, he talks about the blessings that we have been blessed with as Christians. He first of all says, you were chosen. That's amazing that God would choose you. And then he follows it with, you were adopted. And if you just think of that right there, there you are with a bunch of kids in the room, and God comes in and says, you, you're my kid. That's worth the price of admission right there. That's your salvation. Then he goes ahead and says that he redeemed you. He steps forward, he says, he forgave you. Then he says that he sealed you with the Holy Spirit. What? Yeah, being sealed with the Holy Spirit means the Holy Spirit climbs inside of you and you ask, who is the Holy Spirit? And I'm glad you asked. The Holy Spirit is God. So wait, part of my salvation is now God is inside me? Now, if that doesn't seem significant to you, tell people on a crowded elevator that truth, and they'll think it's significant. Hey, guys, just want you to know, God is living inside of me. They'll give you all the space you need on the elevator. It's big stuff. And the promise is, Out of this salvation, God is going to wipe all the tears from your eyes. He's going to put everything right ultimately. So this is a big, big deal. And you have a forever family that is just as weird as you. And so everybody accepts each other and loves each other because we're all equally weird. So what do we do with it? We celebrate. Pinch me, I'm dreaming. Is all of this... I am saying, is this true? And the answer is, absolutely. It's absolutely true. It's time to party. It's time to celebrate. There's a word here I want to draw your attention to. In uh, verse 2, it says, Our mouths were filled with laughter. In the first service, you didn't get to see it, but uh, Willie and Kelly doing the, the announcements, they were handed a sheet of paper that said, um, announced that the, the cafe is going to be serving hot drinks that are out of season. <laughs> and 
and they didn't know what to do with that. What is a hot drink that's out of season? Uh, and so, you um, know, what they really wanted us to announce that you could have winter Christmas drinks in August. But that was not what they, and so they were flubbing around with what this, and, and, and finally it just burst everyone into laughter, and everyone was just laughing about whatever this thing is, uh, Christmas drink in August. Can you imagine us pinching ourselves, dreaming, I, am I really saved? Does God really love me? Is this really happening? So this word laughter is the word that's used when Rebecca laughs when she's told, excuse me, Sarah, she's told she's going to have a baby. And you know, she's, she's, she's old. She's a senior citizen, very senior. And she's told she's going to have a baby and she begins to laugh. And you, and you know the story. Part of it's out of unbelief. Part of it, she's picturing herself pregnant at her age. And then she's picturing what everybody is now going to say. Like, are you kidding me? I, it's just, it becomes funny. And that's what humor is. Something that's contrary to what we expected them to say or expected them to do. And it elicits humor from us. You were not supposed to be saved. You don't deserve salvation. There's nothing about you that God was scouring there and saying, can we just find someone perfect, someone amazing, someone that's just so good that we would say, we need them in heaven. It's going to stack the deck of our team. That's just not the way it goes. The way it goes is, hey, Mark's going to be in heaven. (laughs) You're kidding me. Yeah. See, you're not laughing. We think, oh no, I should be there. I am amazing. (laughs) So they begin to laugh, just like Sarah laughed as she thought about this great salvation. Let me tell you about the pinch me, I'm saved part of my story. Someday I'll tell you my full testimony. Uh, But there's a part of my story that is a little bit like uh, the prodigal son. My brother was actually more of the prodigal son than I was. Uh, When he uh, came home from uh, partying in Honolulu, riding, driving a rickshaw for two years, uh, and got saved, my parents celebrated. It was a big party at our house, truly, uh, celebrating that day. Part of my story is this robust salvation that came to our family. So I get saved 2 a.m. in the morning in my bedroom. Within a week, my mom asked me about, I had already told her about my, my conversion, and she started going to church with me. She was a backslidden Baptist. My sister sees what's happening. I'm going up the stairs one day, and she's going down the stairs. She's 16, and she says, hey, Mark, so what's going on? I said, what do you mean? She says, well, you're going to church now, and mom's going with you, and I've noticed a change in your life. I said, I know. And she says, "Um, uh, well, I, I think 
I said, Dee, are you a Christian? She says, I don't know. I've always believed the story. And I, and I said, well, we can make sure. And so we go up into her bedroom. We sit Indian style on the bed. And, um, and I tell her the gospel. And she says, well, I believe that. So what do we do? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> I'm new to this myself. I said, but I think I'm supposed to lay hands on you. So I put my hands on her head like a football. God, come into Dee's life. And she said, did that work? I said, I think so. And then my brother comes home. And, and then my dad, who's here today, my dad. You know, my mom comes and gets me and brings me in her bedroom, uh, their bedroom, one night and says, your dad wants to accept Jesus. And I, and I thought, this can't be true. He's a Berkeley grad. He's, you know, <laughs> I just, and, <laughs> and it was true. But it doesn't stop there. My cousins all start within a short period of, of just a few years, 37 relatives We were up in Whittier one day, and I'm driving along. I say, hey, look, there's my uncle. And, and I get out of the car. We talk on the sidewalk. I share Christ with him. He becomes a Christian. It just went. We were just a bunch of California horse thieves. <laughs> now, what is that? But it's the grace of God. Pinch me. I shouldn't be here. This shouldn't be happening. This is not the way I thought the story would go, but it's the grace of God. And it's the grace of God on your life that he loves you and he's come to you. And if you've gotten old and crusty and stale regarding your salvation, it's time to wake up and celebrate this great, great, robust salvation we have in Jesus. But the psalm goes on. And the psalm says in verse 4, Restore our fortunes, Lord, like the streams in the Negev. The Negev is the south land. It's the desert land of Israel. So you know the devotional, streams in the desert. That's where this is taken from. Those who sow in tears, with tears, will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy carrying sheaves with them. Sheaves are big bundles of wheat, and you see them. Now, now we just wrap them into these big balls. The, the machines do it, but in the olden days, they would just tie it together, and they, the, the, the workers would be carrying big bundles of wheat or barley on their shoulders, and that's what the Bible pictures. But before that great harvest, there's sorrow, and it's described God, restore our fortunes. Something has gone wrong. We don't have to go back too far to think of the last recession. That was the worst since the Great Depression. And here we are in one of the most abundant, fluent times in the history of America. We don't have to go back too far. And then if you look into your history, you don't have to go back too far before you come to a time where you either financially or medically 
or in relationships, or somehow you were in a place of pain or longing, wanting, where you just thought to yourself, this can't be it. There's got to be something more. I'm saved, but there's got to be something more. What is it that I'm missing? Back in 1987, there was a song that was written, so some of you weren't alive yet, but there's a band called U2 that wrote a song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Yeah, you can hear it. You can hear that signature drum rhythm. By the way, our drummer was killing it this morning. You know, just, I don't know if you heard the kick on that last, you know, the kick is this drum. The rhythmic pattern he was doing was blowing me away. At any rate. Um, so the history of that song, did you know that it started out just a drum beat? The drummer came up with this drum beat that just, uh, it was just so hooky. And when the Edge, the guitar player, and Bono, the lead singer, heard that, he said, man, that, I wish we could do something with that. But they had nothing to do with it. It just didn't come together. And so finally, the Edge starts coming up with some overdubs with his guitar, and then he discovers this signature bell chime patch that he puts his guitar through, and that's where you start hearing that rhythm that most of us know but it still had no melody, still had no lyric. They go to the gospel and they start listening to black gospel songs. And if you've ever listened to black gospel, black gospel, even though the story of African Americans in our country is, is a sad, sad story, there's more joy and there, there's more hope and there's more pointing to the future than in any other group. And so they're listening to black gospel songs. And now when you hear, we still haven't found what we're looking for, you realize, oh, that's gospel. And they were inspired. That's gospel. And now you realize it's a song full of hope. And it fits you. I'm a Christian. I'm already saved. I'm still waiting. There's still something that I'm waiting for. And I want to talk to you about that. I want you to picture in your mind a river. And a river is flowing from south to north. It's called the Nile River. And before the Nile River reaches the Mediterranean, it forks into a delta. Well, I know that's bright. Put on your shades. Uh, and I'll... It's bright, but you can see where right below, right above Cairo, it branches. Now, turn off the screen because that's going to be too bright for the rest of the service. So imagine for me, you're traveling from east to west, and you, you cross the, the Nile up where the, the delta is. <laughs> it's hard for me to do. And you're crossing the delta, and you come to another river, and you say, what's that river? And someone says, it's the Nile. You say, I already crossed the Nile. How can this be the Nile? It's the Nile. 
That is how you and I are to think of our salvation. You crossed the river of salvation. You're saved. Everything is great. God has done all this great thing, but guess what? You have to cross the river again. At the second coming of Christ or at your death, you're going to cross the river again. And it's going to be even better. Isn't that strange? Listen to how the Bible talks about salvation. I'm just trying to help you because a lot of you have never heard the full story of our salvation. So the Bible speaks of your salvation three different ways. It says you have been saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. I've given the references in your notes just so you can check up on me and see if these things are true and look up the scriptures. So you have been saved. You don't need to worry about your salvation. You've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You are forgiven. You are saved. You are being saved. Every time you're, you're, you're praying and you're working out things, Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, work out your salvation, for it is God who is working in you. What that means is not earn your salvation, but come on, work it out, live it out. You are being saved. And guess what? You will be saved. When Christ comes again for you or you appear in his presence in in glory, you will be saved. And they're all three true. And so now you can picture the the why, the river. Uh, You are saved. But now sometimes while you're waiting, you're, you're experiencing pain. You're experiencing heartache. I just look around the room. I know you, and I know many of your stories that it hasn't always been pretty, even though we live in the most affluent country in the world. We still, we still have a 100% chance of dying. Did you know? I know, you're thinking, I came to church to hear that. And I even gave in the offering. I'm definitely not giving in the missions offering because I'm not supporting that kind of message that I'm going to die. But it's true. But for you and I, it's the greatest hope to be in Christ's presence and to know what it's all going to be like when we get there and we finally see Jesus face to face. We talked about that last week, studying Psalm 27. We talked about that. And I told you, I already know that God's going to give me a wonderful body. This body seems to be dying, you know? I'm younger in heart, but I'm on the outside. I'm not pleased with the results. So I've already worked out a deal that I'm going to be very buff, six foot seven, and sing like Aretha Franklin. And if you think that's weird, you're just jealous. So we are going to be there. One day, we're just going to be gasping at the face of Jesus. I love the end of the Bible, Revelation 22 where it describes the river coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb and the, the trees that bear uh, the, the 12 different fruits all throughout the year. And 
it finally gets to the climax and says, and we will see his face. And you wonder, well, why does it stop there? Because I think we're going to just stare <laughs> for a thousand years <laughs> to finally see love himself, to finally see faithfulness himself, to finally see truth himself. Everything we believed is now in this person standing in front of us. So what does this mean? It means that we live in the tension, in the already, but not yet. And it's the best place to live for now. Because as we live in the tension, things somehow happen in our lives where God asks us to dig deeper. We're just going along, maybe not growing, maybe not being all that God has called us to be, and the bottom drops out, and that's the, the, the test time. What are you going to do now? Now that you lost your job, now that you lost your, your wife, now that you lost whatever it is, what are you going to do now? And I've seen it right in front of me. People become bitter and resentful towards God. They didn't know that there was an already but not yet. Or they withdraw from God. I don't trust you anymore. They didn't know that there's an already but not yet. Or they drift away from church, just kind of become indifferent. They didn't know that we live in attention and the best is yet to come. So in the text here, it says that those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. And those who go out weeping carrying seed to sow will return with songs of joy carrying sheaves with them what is going on here this is perhaps the best part of the story they're sowing seeds in their pain it doesn't mean the text doesn't mean the tears are the seeds it doesn't say that it says in amidst their tears that they're sowing seeds. So you have to picture someone, maybe they just have a one basket left of seeds from years ago, and the famine is still going. They always sowed the seeds before the rain. And now, this may be the last of my seed. I don't know what happens after this, we may just die. We don't have anything left. And they're, they're crying as they're sowing the seed. And that's the picture of you and me. When it gets tough, when we're in pain, what do we do? I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to stop being who I discovered Christ to call me to be at the first crossing. It's all still true. I'm crying. Yeah, this hurts but I'm still sowing seed. And so what is sowing seed? It's loving people just like you used to love them when things were good. It's sharing Christ with people just like you did when things were good. It's praying just like you did when things were good. It's all, all these things just like it was when things were good. And you're, you're crying, but you're still sowing seed. And out of that, the promise to you and me is you're gonna come back full of joy. 
carrying the harvest. It's a promise. It's in my Bible anyway. Is it in yours? His promise is to restore your fortunes as we dig deeper and we pass out the seed. Whatever God's given us, the resources, the blessings that we have left, we're going to still serve Christ. So this last week, I uh, said goodbye to a friend that uh, many of you knew, uh, Daryl Nogle, uh, just a monster of a saint in the kingdom, but he beat us into heaven. Fought cancer for four years. The last two years were difficult. And so his wife, Carrie, called me up 18 months, two years ago, said, hey, can you come over? And I went over, and I know what was in their mind, wanted me to get to know him better before the day. And so we were able to visit a couple times and discover how many things we actually had in common, uh, both originally from Whittier and uh, both similar stories in high school, same town, and then uh, both ending up in San Diego. Uh, The difference was he was an incredible athlete, me not so much. But we had to say goodbye. And in Daryl's life, I thought about the already. He enjoyed his salvation so much and shared Jesus so much. And everybody knew Daryl was a believer. San Diego State, short stint in professional football, and, and then as a business, everybody knew. As a teacher, everybody knew. And uh, this big, big salvation. But the not yet was still there. He was suffering from cancer. But guess what? It's not not yet anymore for Daryl. It's not not yet anymore for the people that have gone before us. And why isn't that the best thing? That is the best thing. We don't think about it much. We think about the now, and I want to live my life now, and I want to... Yes, but the way you live well now is to know what's coming. And then to work backwards. Let the future inform you of how we should best live now. And it's the best is yet to come. Listen to the words of this hymn that so many of us love. When we go through painful times, be still, my soul, the Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change, he faithful will remain. Let that soak in. Be still, my soul. Thy best, thy heavenly friend, through thorny ways, leads to a joyful end. Let me read to you the fourth stanza. Be still, my soul, the hour is hastening on when we shall be forever with the Lord. Oh, yeah. When disappointment, grief, and fear are gone, sorrow forgot 
love's purest joys restored. Be still, my soul. When change and tears are past, all safe and blessed, we shall meet at last. So this is where we live, in the land of the already but not yet. You are saved, but not yet. No, you're fully saved, but you don't know how saved you're going to be when you see him face to face. So the already has happened, but the best is yet to come. Don't stop remembering what God has already done for you. The already has happened, but the yet is yet to come, and the best is yet to come. Don't stop celebrating. Keep dancing. The already has happened, but the best is yet to come. So don't stop sowing the seeds. The already has happened, but the best is yet to come. Go deeper. And the already has happened, but the best is yet to come. So don't stop dreaming. We were like those who dreamed. How joyful. And yet we still dream for what is yet to come. Father, we pray that you would be with us. Make us Christians that know how to live in this land of tension where we have discovered your blessing and yet we wait to see you once again. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.